I want to continue in this message series. Actually, we're going to wrap it up today. We talked about uh, the idea that God wants your family saved. Then we talked about how, uh, what you can do. What do you need to do? How do you live your life among your family members? And of course, this would go to extend be beyond your immediate family to your extended family, as well as just those who you love, friends, family. So you apply to all of that. Then we spent time and we talked about what are the, uh, the words that you, you can say? What can you say? What do we need to say? And we walked through how, how to share the gospel and what the gospel really looks like to, to a, you know, as much as we can fit in 30 minutes time last week. And then this week, uh, we're talking about what you can pray. I want to talk about this because even if you say and do the right things, you still need to pray because what we're after is not just a mental decision, but there is something that's spiritual that needs to take place for someone to engage in their relationship with God, to go from, I am not believing or, or maybe I'm believing, but I'm, I'm not surrendered to you to where, okay, not only will I believe, but I'm also going to surrender and give my life to you. You know there's people, some of your family, who believe in God, but they've not yet surrendered their life to Him, right? And you know there's a difference, isn't there? There's, you can believe all the right things, like, I mean, whatever, you can completely believe it's true, but yet you have not said, okay, and I'm going to give myself to that truth. There's a difference. And that's why people can be really religious and smart and, and be deceived at the same time. Because they know the right thing. So they're not believing lies in the sense of false doctrine. They're just, they think that because I, I know the right stuff, that that's enough. And, and, and I'm not talking about like working for it. What I'm talking about is giving yourself to it. I'm, I, I'm embracing it. I'm not just acknowledging it, but I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm giving my, myself to him. And so there, for that to happen... It has to be a spiritual thing that, that, that transpires. And so that's why it's so important to pray because prayer is a spiritual act. It's a spiritual wrestling. It is, though you are doing something naturally, talking to God, that's what it is, but yet there's something that is happening, and when we say spiritual, it's the unseen realm. There's things that you can't see with your physical eyes that are happening when you pray. And it's just how God has designed it. And so I want to talk to you about some ways that you can pray today that will affect your family and that will, I really do, will set them up and nudge them one step closer to Jesus. And that, that's what we're after. Uh, but a couple things you need to know about prayer, especially for your loved ones. Number one, your prayers will not work in the afterlife. In other words, you can't wait to pray till you, you know, till after you die. Because uh, there is nowhere in the Bible that talks about the saints in heaven praying for those on earth. In fact, in heaven, the saints there don't have authority on earth. Only the believers here on earth have authority on earth. That's why it's important for you to pray. Now, I know there are religions and so forth and people who think that if they talk to the saints up there, the saints will put a good word in with Jesus or maybe somebody else, and then he'll do his thing. But the Bible doesn't teach that. And so it's so important to recognize you have authority here. The only person that was on earth that's in heaven now that has authority to pray and change things here is Jesus. 
In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is making intercession. He is the one who was praying. He's talking to Father God. He's making some stuff happen from the throne room of heaven right now. That's why when we pray, we go, we pray to him as well. But he's the only one. He's the only one who's talking and making decisions up there. It's not your, your great grandma or, you know, St. Paul or anybody else. It's, it's Jesus. The authority on earth is for you. So it's important that you pray now because this is your one shot at it. And of course, understanding this is a spiritual event, let's talk about some ways that you pray. The first thing that we want to look at is from Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. And we understand this, that people who are far from God or near to God, but yet have not receive the salvation, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, they're in bondage. In fact, uh, Matthew says this, Jesus is talking, and, he, and he, he said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And listen how, how he explains this. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? What is he talking about? He's saying there are people who are kind of uh, in bondage themselves. They're locked up. They're under the sway of the wicked one, as 1 John 5.19 says. Now, I want to walk through these things so you can understand the condition that your, your lost loved ones are in. The Bible just says it like this. We know that we are of God, we the believers, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So they're under that control. That wicked one is the strong man who has influence in their life. And so they may not be a bad person. It's not that they're a bad person doing bad things, or, or they could. I don't know. You know, I don't know your family. You don't know mine. But maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. But nevertheless, you don't have to be a, a, like doing bad stuff to be uh, restricted or blinded or bound up by the enemy. Because the whole world those outside of Christ, they're under the sway or influence. And Jesus is saying, we've got to deal with that spiritual authority in their life. You have to go and take authority over them. And you know what? The Bible tells us that we have authority to bind that strong man. We have authority. And so when we're talking about praying, we're not just talking about expressing good feelings and desires to God and hopes that things turn around. But what we really are doing is engaging in, in the battle through prayer. And, and Jesus kind of walks us through and gives us an understanding of this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 9. Are you writing this down? Or this is important. You're like, I'm just going to get the, the, the uh, message later on. This is important. Uh, I'm telling you this. If I was unsaved and my family knew the Lord, and, and then we stand before you know, God like on Judgment Day, and, and I'm, in the, I'm in the long line, the line that people aren't happy to be in over there, and uh, they're on the left side. You know, you see the sheep over here, the goats over there. I'm in the goat's line. I would be very unhappy that they didn't pay attention in church and pray for me, right? Like, pay attention. Get these things in your heart, and, and let's go after every single one of these family members. God, God wants them all to be saved. And so Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the ability to restrict things here on earth, and, and I'll back you up from heaven. And I'll give you the ability to set things loose, uh, set things free, and I'll back you up from heaven as well. And, and that authority has been given to us. Those are keys. Keys represent authority in Scripture. And so Jesus gives us the authority. So the very first thing we do, we begin to address that in prayer. We start to uh, address the strong man. We bind the strong man. But here's something that's important. How, how do we do that? We bind them like, do we get out chains? You know, some people are like, I don't, maybe a prayer chain will bind the devil, right? We need a prayer chain to bind them up. And, uh, or, or maybe, you know, we come up with things like, okay, I'm just gonna, let's all gather around this person to hold hands and put them in the middle, and that will bind up the devil. And, and because I don't know, we're supposed to bind them. And the pastor said, bind them. Well, how did Jesus bind the devil? How did he bind the devil? In Mark chapter 1, verse 25 through 26, uh, Jesus is dealing with a demon-possessed guy. And it says this, Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and, and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. What, what is, what's happening here? Jesus is taking authority and he's commanding the enemy. And he's doing it with words. He's not coming out with spiritual chains to bind him. or It's not that. He's not coming out like, okay, let's do something. Like, let's do this with our arms. And this represents something in the spirit. We're cutting the chains. That's not what he does. People do stuff like this. People do stuff like this. I, people do stuff weird. Let's just get our Bibles. You know, if we swing it in the spirit, I'm, people do stuff like that. It's not effective. It might pump you up. But it doesn't change things in the spirit. Yeah. And so we just got to stick with the word. And so when Jesus is, is, is giving a demonstration of this, he's speaking words. He's speaking words and using authority, the authority that God has given him over the enemy. And you have that authority as well because you're in Christ. We pull down strongholds. There are times when you have family members or loved ones or friends, and you know that they are making decisions, and they were under the influence of the enemy. And it's beyond just like behavioral. There is something going on. You, you, you take a moment. You get you know, in the prayer closet if you need to. If they're not around <laughs> for you to talk to, and you know, you're not engaging them, you just begin to pray, and you speak. You speak the word of God and you silence the enemy just like this. Just like Jesus said, you know, you be quiet. You're praying for your kid, praying for your mom or dad, and you see the influence in their life and you just begin to say, devil, (laughs) demon, whatever, you lying spirit, you destructive spirit, you be quiet. And I command you to release them and let them go. And you don't have to sit there, you know, sweat or spit or anything like that, but you just have to have confidence in the word of God. That's where it starts. It's not where it stops, though, because we pull down strongholds, which is the second thing. You know, strongholds are these, these like um, prison cells almost or, or walls that are built up around uh, people, and, and they're, they're oftentimes our mindsets. And they really are, if you think of it on a spiritual dimension, they're, they're these, these territories held by the enemy to keep us at a, a disadvantage. A stronghold, if you think of a tower or castle walls or something, they're designed to keep somebody out, but also somebody in. And the enemy builds these things up uh, through oftentimes unbelief, 
false belief, you know, deception through, through ungodly behavior. These things start to build up and they become strongholds in our life. And the scripture tells us that we have authority to tear those things down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4.27 says, Don't give place to the devil. Don't give him place. We tear these strongholds down. We've got to begin to identify when there is something that somebody is stuck in. Maybe it's a bondage to there's an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe there's this pride. Maybe, maybe it's their, their greed. Maybe it would be some sexual sin or desire or, or bondage that they're stuck in, and, and they just can't seem to get free. And even... By the way, people who are stuck in it, it, with strongholds, it doesn't mean that they don't want to be free. Did you know that? There's a lot of people who are stuck, and they're just stuck, and they don't want to be stuck, but they keep going back to it. And so you might even have family members who, man, they, they seemed to love the Lord at some point in their life, and then they just got off track, and now they're stuck in a certain lifestyle or pattern or behavior, and it's become a stronghold, and, and they don't want to be stuck there. And we start to move in, and we take our authority, and we begin to address these things to pull these strongholds down. We don't attack the person, but we start to address these when we're praying and binding up the enemy in the spirit. We use the weapons of our warfare that God has given us. Uh, but what are those weapons? What are those weapons that God has given us? It's important to understand this, that the weapons we use to pull down the strongholds and cast down these arguments are words. It's words. You think, oh, words, are those powerful? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is how Jesus did it. In Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 36, Jesus is talking. He has this one ruler of a synagogue who, who came to him and said, my daughter's sick, and she's, she's really in bad shape. She's about to die, right? Oh, we're already ahead. You're skipping. You're, it's like a spoiler alert. Um. So she's te he's telling, her, telling him this, and, and Jesus says, well, I'll come and heal her. And so Jesus starts walking, and some lady comes, and she touches Jesus' garment. And because she believed that if I just touch the hem of the garment, then I'll be healed. And so she touches the hem of his garment, and sure enough, she's healed. Well, Jesus wasn't going around thinking, I want to heal some lady who just touches my garment. He's going to this guy's house to heal the daughter. And so as he's going, he feels this anointing that the power of God be called upon by her faith. And he experiences, he feels physically the spirit of God moving, this healing power flowing through him, the anointing. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And they look at him and they say, well, people are touching you all over. But he, say, he said, there's somebody who touched me with faith. There's somebody who, who touched me in a different way than everybody else is touching me. And he stops, and then the lady comes trembling before him, and she falls down. She says, it was me. 
And she begins to tell him the story. Now, she had been in this condition for years, and she'd spent all her money, and she'd gone to this doctor and that doctor and that doctor, and no one could help her, and it only made her worse. And she's telling him this story, and the Bible says she told him the whole story. I don't know. This is not a man-woman thing, but sometimes when I tell the whole story about how my day went, my wife says, how was your day? I said, it was good. That's the whole story. <laughs> Jesus would have been at the guy's house in like a minute later if I told him the whole story. But I know someone else that I'm married to. You ask her the whole story about how the day went, and she'll tell you the whole story. And it'll take the full day to explain the whole story. That's what was happening right here. And you can imagine that Jesus is talking, actually listening to the lady, and Jairus is like, come on, we're ready. You're healed. He gets it, right? We got to go because my family member needs you. My family member needs you. And so she's still talking, though. And so you can only imagine what Jairus is feeling like. My my daughter needs you. She's at the point of death. Like, come on. And Jesus doesn't hurry. He has the ability to make eye contact and not be distracted in conversation. And then while he's standing there talking, he says to the lady, you know, your faith has saved you. While he was still speaking, someone came, this is back on the screen, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. What just happened? Your daughter is dead. They spoke words, and this was an argument that was exalting itself against the knowledge of God, the revealed presence and power and person of God. These words came, and they were an argument against what Jesus said he would do. Jesus said, I'll come and heal her. So that is what God said, and nothing had changed in his mind from his desire when he said it till he would eventually get there. But in between the time that, that this person had this need recognized and, and Jesus had communicated, yes, I'll do it, there's a gap in between there. And during that time, arguments rise up to say, no, it won't happen. It's impossible. It's too late. It's not for you. These are arguments that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. God says, I want to heal. But then the enemy's still at work over here. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house to heal you. And so you're in process, and it hasn't happened yet, and it seems like there's a delay. And in the midst of delay, thoughts start to come and arguments and, and, and all these accusations to say, it's not going to happen, not for you. While he was still speaking, they came from the house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Why pursue God any longer? Why keep praying for your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your husband? Why keep praying any longer? Don't trouble them anymore because it's already too late. What is that? That's an argument that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And you have to bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Those thoughts that tell you to give up, you have to bring them in to obedience and tell them you will not 
tell me how this will turn out. Look at how Jesus dealt with this, how he cast down these arguments. Uh, As soon as Jesus heard, notice this, as soon as, that very moment that those words came out, Jesus is locked on with this lady. He's still speaking. Jesus is talking out of his mouth while somebody says these words. But as soon as that happened, though he's not distracted by anything else, he's distracted immediately. And he says, as soon as this, as soon as this happened, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. He comes against that argument that had exalted itself against him, saying it's not going to happen, and he shuts down fear. He shuts down unbelief, and he says, right now you have an opportunity to believe and not believe at the same time. You believe that it's coming, but yet you believe that it's not going to happen. And he says, you've got to make a choice of only one of those things. And I'm telling you, don't be afraid, only believe. Only believe. So he begins to shut down these arguments with truth. He begins to shut down these arguments with his will. He begins to shut down these arguments with his words. This is how we tear down strongholds and we cast down these, uh, these arguments that exalt themselves against him and bring thoughts into captivity, both yours, especially yours, but also theirs. You speak truth. You speak faith. You speak God's word. When someone starts telling you how they identify themselves and it's not true, you just love them and say, but you know what? God loves you so much, and that's not who you are. It's not who he's made you to be. When someone says, well, I don't even believe in God, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Everybody who raises kids, probably at some point they'll hear their kids say, I don't even think I believe in God. I don't even think I know. It's normal. It's natural for them to wrestle with their faith. You can't let that throw you off, though, and think, oh, no, they've chosen not to believe, and so now I've got to cater to an unbelieving child all my life. Absolutely not. No, you know what? I would tell, you know, if I was to use you an example, because you're my only kid here right now, and if you said, you know what, I don't believe there's God, or I don't believe he's this or that, I'd ask you this question. Hey, do you think there's people that believe things about you that aren't true? Probably. Are there people who don't even know that you exist? Probably. Does that mean that either of them are right? Regardless of what they believe, it doesn't change who, he, who you are, right? And the same thing's true about God. And you might be wrestling with this right now, but I'll tell you, he absolutely loves you. He absolutely is real. He absolutely did die for your sins. And you will serve the Lord because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so he, he's going to continue to show up in your life. And we don't get moved. We're not afraid. We only believe. All my children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. And so you begin to counter these things with the word. Jesus, when he goes to the house, then he leaves. He says, all right, let's go. Let's go. You know, people are starting to speak words against God's desired outcome. So he goes to the house, and in verse 52, it says, they all wept and they mourned for her, but he said, don't be, don't weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. Was Jesus confused? Is she not really dead? Is Jesus trying to make stuff up? He's choosing his words wisely. Verse 53, they ridiculed him knowing that that she was dead, but he put them all outside. I love that. All right, laugh all you want. Now get out, right? Sometimes you got to take authority over the environment. 
You have to take authority over the environment. And he took her by the, the hand and called her, little girl, arise. Then the spirit, her spirit returned to her, and she arose immediately. My favorite part of it is, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. Here's what Jesus does. He immediately counters arguments against God's will with faith. And that's what we do as well. And we do that in praying for them. And, and they, may have, they might have believed lies. What do you start to do? You pray truth over them. You speak truth, words of truth over them. And when they start to express these things that are, that are lies or deception, you know what? You just go right back with the word of God in love. Not, you don't beat them up with the Bible. You, just, you beat them up with love and truth, right? You, you just love them, and, and you're gracious in your speech, and you tell them the truth, and you smile at them and say, that's all right, because you know what? This is what God's word says about you. This is what he says about the situation. Uh, you know what? We're not going to be afraid here. I'm not going to be afraid. You just begin to speak these words, and you, you counter lies with truth. You counter lies with truth. What's your alternative? Just to agree with them? You're right. You're going to be stuck. You're right. There is no God for you. You know, it's my truth. You live your truth. I'm going to live my truth. Let me tell you something. We don't have two different truths. There are not two different truths. I don't have my truth, which is separate from your truth. There's only his truth. This is important because that's kind of a cool saying or whatever, like individualistic and so forth. But truth is truth regardless of whether it's yours or not. It doesn't change based on the person. It's, it's outside of your subjectivity, your feelings, your emotions. If, if, if this is true for you, it's true for everybody. And if it's not true for everybody, guess what? It's not true for you. It's not true for you. And so we counter with the truth. There's a lot more things that, that we could go into to that right there. But let me tell you, you speak the word. Bottom line is you speak the word. How did, how did Jesus counter the enemy in when, when Satan was trying to tempt him with the word. It is written. It is written. So when we talk about binding the strong man, you talk about tearing down strongholds and bringing thoughts into captivity. Even in prayer, when you're not talking to the person and dealing with them, you pray the word of God. You speak what the word of God is. That is how you bind. That is how you loose. That's how you allow. That is how you disallow. That's how you set free. That's how you take captive is what does the word of God say? Because that's where the authority is at. That's where the power is at in the word of God. You, you engage in the spiritual warfare. There's several other things that you can do when you pray, and I want to give you a couple of them. Number one, you pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. I told you the story about my dad uh, praying and opening his heart to Jesus and, and, and asking forgiveness. And, and, and that was because a laborer other than me came through and spent some time with him who loved Jesus and just told him about Jesus and, and uh, encouraged him and asked him actually to pray. Not just, hey, if you want to pray sometime, you should. But hey, would you want to pray right now? You pray for that kind of labor. God, send bold laborers across my family members' paths. Sometimes, honestly, they won't listen to you. They won't listen to you, but they'll listen to somebody else. Why that happens, I don't know. It's just like uh, parent things my parents told me growing up I wouldn't listen to, but suddenly someone else tells me, and it's like, oh, newfound truth, right? <laughs> Never heard that before. My mom or dad were like, you know, we've been telling you this for years, so you pray for labors, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send labors into his harvest. Your family, that's his harvest. That's his harvest. God, send some labors across there. Uh, 
Last thing, well, second to last, pray for a hedge of thorns. What's that? You ever hear someone, God put a hedge of thorns about them. Where does that come from? Like a hedge of thorns. In the book of Hosea, God's dealing with a lady who keeps running off and doing her own thing and getting herself into a situation where she's leaving her family and she, she's just, she's not living right. And God says this, he says, I'm going to put a hedge, of, I, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. Find her paths out. Find her paths. So, you know, we talked about strongholds, not letting some things in. God is trying to say, but I'm going to put some protection to keep her out from straying. And he says there's going to be this hedge of thorns put around her. And you know, the idea, the concept here is if you ever fall into a thorn bush, do you want to hang out there? You want to keep pushing your way through, swimming through that stuff? By no means. You're backing off. Like, this is uncomfortable. And so there are times in, in people's lives when we are, we are praying, God, build a hedge of thorns around their path so they won't go back to those friends, so they won't go back to those activities, so they won't go back to those places, right? A hedge of thorns, make it so uncomfortable for them. I, I don't care what has to happen. God, do whatever it takes to get their attention because we're talking eternity, I'm not concerned about comfort and happiness and feeling good about yourself. I want you to know Jesus and be saved first, because that's where the comfort and joy is going to flow from. And so we pray, God, put that hedge of thorns right around them, and, and uh, you'll see that things become hard for them. Things become hard for them. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, and the end leads in death. Last thing is pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There are times when, God, I'm, I'm at a loss. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't know. But Holy Spirit, you know the very will of God in this situation. You have all the insight, all the wisdom. I'm going to take time, and I'm going to pray in the Spirit right now, God. And, and you begin to pray. You begin to pray in your spiritual language. You begin to pray, and you pray in faith, and you pray until you sense that it's time to take a break from praying, like you've got the release. You have prayed through this thing. And you know what? You keep doing that, and you do it over and over until you see breakthrough, until you see this family member saved. God has chosen you as an open door to see the rest of your family saved. And I believe that the Lord has been telling us this over the past four weeks because he wants some of your friends, family members, those who are close to you, that, that they need to be here. And if they're far away, they need to be in the family of God somewhere. And they need to be living their life knowing the love of God and knowing their purpose. And this message series right here is not just a sermon series, but this is something from the Lord telling you, I want them all. This is my harvest. And I believe this, that we'll see our family members saved. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we, we do love you and we thank you that it's your heart, it's your desire love us, and God, to use us to reach our family. Lord, we pray, I pray for every single person in here who has family members that don't know you. Would you just say their names right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, I lift up David to you. I lift up my mom to you, my brother, my cousin. 
whatever it is. Lord, I lift them up to you, God. This is the one I'm going after in prayer. Lord, I believe that you, you want them saved. God, I thank you that you uh, do put up a hedge of, uh, of thorns around to keep them from going astray. Lord God, I, those who are in bondage or bound up by the enemy in some way or another, we take our authority in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak liberty to them. We speak freedom to them right now. We declare that, that as family members, that as we believe and are saved, our whole household will be saved as well. We thank you, Lord God, that your grace is more than enough. Draw them in by your love, by your kindness. Send laborers across their path. And Lord Jesus, I pray if anybody is in here and that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they pray and surrender their life to you, regardless if they know the truth about you, but if they haven't given themselves to you as well. And if that's you if, you, if you need to either give your life to Jesus for the first time or recommit your life to the Lord, simply begin to pray and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and that you paid for them on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me new life. And Lord, I, I give you my life today, asking you to forgive me, to be the Lord and change me forever. Help me to get to know you, God, in your precious name. Amen.